Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to OK Podcast. My name is Hayden. My name's Kamila. When creating a drag persona, one of the biggest elements is the outfit. It's one of the first things people see and helps to characterize the performance. While most people are familiar with the drag on reality contest shows, there's many more facets involved than what is shown. Angel Face, one of the drag performers of Birmingham, Alabama, centers her drag around gothic imagery and often pulls gothic Lolita into her performances to show how macabre and unique drag can be. But before we get into that, we have some news, some updates. First and foremost, how was Sea of Serenity, Kamila? Because I have not had time to look at anything and I, I want the reviews. I want to know uh, what Rotten Tomatoes says about Sea of Serenity <laughs> before I'm like, should I watch all like 10, 15 of these panels? I'm going to eventually though, no matter what you say. Yeah, right? Like since I had to like prepare for my own panel and everything, I didn't really get a chance to look at um, a bunch of people's panels. I thought they were all really interesting but I did get to look at the brand releases video, which is pretty cool. I think they do, I, for some reason, I thought like it was gonna be way, it was gonna be way more complicated. Like all the brands were gonna have to do some sort of video on their own, just like holding up pieces or doing some sort of slideshow with like. So this is, this is my shirt for this, yeah, for this season. <laughs> You can see the cool, oh, I gotta raise it up a little more. Yeah, you see down here on the hem, there's some yeah. cool lace. Look at the lace. <laughs> We're on video right now and Hayden is killing the haul video <laughs> remake. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was gonna be like that or there was gonna be like, someone was gonna go all out and do some really creative mood board video thing. So I just like, what didn't know really what to expect. I know Koroshiro, I think they did like a live stream on their Instagram or something, shopping li like in the store and everything like that. But overall, it was someone from the J Fashion On Demand team. It was just like someone on the screen be like, oh, hey, there's gonna be these new brand releases, you know? And then they went through it and then they kind of did like a screen of like scrolling through the person's website or going through some pictures maybe that was sent to them. And then they have blurbs about each of the brands, what the overall brand was about and what items were available. There were a lot of releases that were in the theme of the um, event, which was like Sea of Serenity. So a lot of like mermaidy stuff. We're getting back to the 2010s mermaid trend. Yeah, and I was, I really liked that trend and thought like, man, this would be great for Princess Ahoy. But also mm -hmm. I like don't need to buy more things for that right now. Fluffy Tori had a release that was a lot of pastel items, a lot of color blocking, I guess. And they were pretty casual items, t-shirts, sweatshirts. My panel was about alternative fashion and like mixing them, um, which was the first time I've ever like presented something like this. Like putting it together was kind of difficult because unlike like a Decora 101 or something about confidence where like I've 
seen that before, I guess. Someone talking about that or there's like determined like style stereotypes or rules or something like that. Very concrete, already documented things. And it's really specific too. Like, okay, Decora 101, that's just about Decora. Whereas like mixing alternative fashions, like trying to present that in a very general way, that's going to be taking an art and trying to make it a science. It's a weird translation. You've had your experiences with it, and now you got to try to take those experiences and generalize them. From doing the panel too, I kind of like realized there's so many things people want to mix together too. Like people were talking about like, oh, can you mix cosplay and J fashion. I'm just like, yes, you can. Like doing like J fashion versions of characters, I guess. Like if that character wore J fashion, how would they wear it or some sort of thing like that, which I think is really cool. It's kind of like hard to explain it where there's specific things. Like if you're talking about Lolita, like, okay, there's going to be the dress and then you're going to get the petticoat and the blouse and you're going to get these tea party shoes. And then that's your basic thing. Um, whereas like mixing alternative fashions, there's no like, you can mix in so many ways and there's not a shopping list for me to give someone. So I kind of approached it more like a mindset process of like how you should like go about it. And I also framed it for beginners. I don't know um, how many people getting into that want to do that already wear J fashion in general sometimes that's like not the case. Sometimes you just like want to start at the beginning mixing things. So I kind of just broke it down like, okay, like get into a home style fashion. So yeah, so kind of like getting that together, then moving on into jumping into some different styles, but not creating as big of a wardrobe. And then um, choosing two styles to put together. But I feel like for the next one, I want to try and do some illustrations of like mixing some styles together, but just at the different levels. Because I feel like I have like a an 80-20, a 50-50, and then there's like a 25-25-25-25 where you're mixing like four styles together or you're trying to mix three styles together and just like showing how that could like look like for the same two styles being mixed together. And then I think people could understand even more clearly that like how to do that. But I also feel like it's going to be a journey of self-discovery. I think overall people um, enjoyed it from the feedback that I got. They seem like, yeah, I'm inspired to, you know, try new things. If I ever did like a, um, instead of a beginner, maybe advanced, I would want people to send in like the two things that they're trying to mix together or maybe their attempt or something. And then we could all talk about how we can get to their best mix that they want. That's where I think there could be something more specific, like maybe you leave with like an idea of like, oh, these are some items or something that I want to get. Bring it to that amount of mixture that they want. Looking forward to working on that for the next time I present it. I, I definitely need to, like, I still haven't been able to watch anything from Sea of Serenity, but I am excited to see your panel and I'm excited to see everyone else's panel. Speaking of online events there is a new one coming up called grammarai 
and it's going to be October 30th, so this Halloween, and it is another virtual J Fashion event. It is going to be hosted by Fluffy Tori, Porcelain Song, J Fashion On Demand. Well, they put all the brands that are being featured as hosts so then they can post things on the Facebook event, but it's mostly um, Bay Area K, Black Ribbon, and J Fashion On Demand. Instead of doing a panel, I thought this time I could uh, try to be a featured brand and have either a sale or a release during the weekend. And then there's going to be a even further up release, I think around October 10th for some of the other featured brands. They, they have a list of this on um, the website and the Facebook page. You know, October, you want to get your Halloween stuff like before Halloween. So if you're going to have like a really Halloween specific release, they're going to talk about those earlier. So there's definitely some stuff throughout the month to look forward to. Pay attention to the event page. Even if you don't want to go to like the panels or something, you can still get in on those sales. And I'm looking forward to some like witch hats. I hope somebody does some like colorful witch hats. I saw Black Ribbon working on some. I am looking forward to seeing some of those releases and making something for the end of the October month. All of these virtual events is making me realize events can be more accessible to people who are not going to events in person. Like Anime Expo, one of the biggest anime conventions in the U.S., I think the biggest anime convention in the U.S., they do host, you know, live streams of their big events, but there are so many other things that could be happening on the side. Like they could live stream uh, panels, they could have other sorts of media going on for those who are unable to make it to the event in person. Like that would require a lot more person power, but it's, I want to see how we are going to be utilizing this in the future. And I'm also, I, I just think it's a really great way that like we could open up the world to people throughout the world and be more accessible to those who can't make it to physical events. And I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, anyone who has any like physical disabilities or, mm -hmm. um, or anxiety issues, immunocompromised, just like anything like that, like they would be able to, yeah, see more of the goings on and even like participate. I think it would be really cool to have even, I don't know what the overall convention would do, but maybe just for the, if J Fashion On Demand is um, still wanting to be active um, after in-person events continue, maybe there's a way that um, there can just be like a part of the J Fashion entertainment team at the convention, maybe they could try to get someone to live stream things through a central source. And it just goes to show that like, this has been possible for a while. And like, there's really no excuse. It's like these things are we're able to do these things. Like, why don't we just do them? I don't know. I'm thinking like, I hadn't thought of, well, I, I've thought of during, say, a panel of mine, like recording it and then putting it on YouTube or something. But I'd feel like, oh, I would like someone to help 
me do that. Like, cause I'm just trying to put together the panel in the first place and show up on time. If I got to like, oh, okay, now I got to set up this camera and then make sure I'm like in the space. Like it'd have to have another person maybe like helping out with that. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like probably the quickest thing and the most thing that would be in the J fashion community's control is just like maybe discussing that with like the fashion show director and maybe they can bring that up to their, at least for their department to say like, oh, it'd be great to have someone to do that, especially these bigger conventions too. That was who my critique was for mainly, not like local small groups that don't have a whole lot of uh, funds or access, but mainly for like the big conventions where it's like, you you can do this, you can make things happen. But Anime Expo doesn't even like to pay for the streaming that they do do from what i have heard they like to get a lot of volunteers to do things more than pay someone awesome even like live events like i watch pro wrestling or um what are they doing with the nba like the basketball games they're having all these screens up and stuff um showing people's reactions at home (laughs) i saw oh my gosh that reminds me um they were doing that for a basketball game and there was like this young kid he was like probably like 12 13 and he was sitting quote unquote in the virtual stands next to like this like 30 year old man and the kid like leans over and like pretends to kiss the man that is sitting in the seat next to him and the man who the guy who's like being streamed next to him moves away real quick <laughs> don't catch me with that gay shit <laughs> that's been one of the wild things with covid is like Things are happening virtually that like is creating memes and content that we never would have thought of. It's wild. Yeah. I think like that would be really cool to keep some of those things too, just to make it more accessible, but also like fun yeah. too. Like that'd be great too. So like I said, there's for these big events, there's like no excuse. And it's like, you can do this. Make it happen. I think that that would be awesome. And you did have one other super exciting thing happen. Please, please tell us about how Hard Decora is doing. Well, Hard Decora just had a release uh, September. What? <laughs> know about it? Um, September 26th, I dropped the Jawbreakers softball collection, which was like all kind of like softball, baseball themed. There was a really cool like varsity type jacket. And then I have like baseball jerseys where like the the cool kind where it's just like the name of the team and then you got to button it up so that you can have the whole name of the team go across your chest. As opposed to the uncool baseball jerseys. I when I was like putting this together, you know, I was like mess I was like messaging in the chat be like, I'm trying to find a place that will make this. <laughs> like, cause it was really hard to look up people that'll make it for fashion, not for like a team. They would be like looking at me like, so why do you want to do like the old school ones? Just all over print this shit. And I'm just like, 
Oh, uh, because like, no, it's... you don't understand my vision. Yeah, my vision, the aesthetic. Like, that's what I want. Um, but eventually I found someone else to do it. It was a whole thing trying to find someone. So that's why I feel like it's a big deal that I found that. And then I did some screen printed shirts for the first time on three quarter sleeve shirts. I think people call them raglan sometimes, but they're like the baseball tees. And I did some masks and custom mini bat commissions reopened too. So yeah, so I was really happy to put all of that out. Releasing things is so like nerve wracking. Like making the thing is almost like the easy fun part, but then like figuring out like, okay, so now I gotta write all these product listings and take the pictures, plan out the posts and answer people's questions. And now that it's released, you know, you can go order it. I've sent out quite a few of the orders already. I was working on that before um, recording today. And yeah, half of the jackets are gone. Wow, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm just like, oh. So there's been certain sizes that don't, like I don't think we have any more mediums. All the mediums have been claimed. I think all the 2XLs have been claimed, but I'm gonna be like happy to see if like somebody buys something like this for their, you know, someone for Christmas or, you know, someone's birthday or something like that cool or if anybody wears it as like a halloween costume like i'm a baseball player (laughs) (laughs) what was your um inspiration behind this baseball themed release because i know you you've done the baseball bats for a while but i i don't think anyone really expected like full-on baseball team hard decora like it was it was very out of left field for me when I heard like I'm doing a baseball team theme I was like wait what (laughs) yeah I thought about that too what was it I was just like oh I don't think (laughs) I hope people receive this well because it might seem weird I said out of left field (laughs) I just realized that wow (laughs) pun game on point So I was working at Personalization House and there were a lot of people who wanted to get stuff printed for like their teams or something. Most of the things were like screen printing things or something, but I thought like, oh man, it'd be cool to make like sports stuff. I just started just just being more exposed to more like sports jerseys and paraphernalia and things like that and I'm just like oh yeah it'd be cool to do that and I do have a character that's going to be coming up in the next volume of my comic she's very much into softball and I'm just like oh yeah that person kind of like has like a sporty thing like I can make them like the mascot yeah so it kind of like went from there and I thought like, you know, I have to do like the the sweet and the hardcore. So it was like jawbreakers. Yeah, that's like candy. That's like hardcore. And like the team motto could be like, you can't break us. We're the jawbreakers. And, <laughs> and I was just thinking about like, yeah, like I would love to be a part of that team. Like that would have been so awesome. So that's basically <laughs> what my whole inspiration was. And I wanted to put it out in spring but you know y'all know what happened um (laughs) baseball couldn't even come out in spring so (laughs) so it's just like i'll have to wait 
you know, who knows, I may like add to it or something at some other time if I thought think of like, oh, I want to do some more, you know, baseball or sporty things. See, I don't know why you didn't put the mascot be the furries in your comic because they are already mascots, basically. They're, furries <laughs> are just glorified mascots. I have I have a thing for them, though, because I'm just like, oh, they would be more like hockey. <laughs> You know, yeah, so I will, like, yes. <laughs> there would be called the Prowlers, and then it'd be like, <laughs> I'm dying. I'm so leaving. I already thought of that. Don't, don't try to come for me. I already have my lore. <laughs> okay, but I can't wait to see Simon model the hockey jerseys yes! wearing a furry hat. <laughs> Like wearing a furry hood. Yes, he he's gonna he mad. I make that he's gonna go ballistics. Like, oh my god, you're actually doing the thing. <laughs> Even if it's just like a one off for Simon, right? Like, I need to see you this. Need to see it too. <laughs> oh man, man! If this other stuff was not going on with like COVID, I totally wanted to do some sort of video like that where like it would be um. <laughs> The jawbreakers versus like some like dudes in the furry hat things, but like the cheap ones you could get from Target or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> so for your release, you did record some stuff, some videos with some folks. How was coordinating that, especially with the COVIDs? How how did that go? That was kind of a surprise out of nowhere thing. They reached out to me. I think they were a graduate of Columbia. And they were just like, oh, I always wanted to work with you. But we just have never gotten a chance to or something. You want to try to meet up like this month and get some stuff recorded. And I was just like, oh, okay. And she kind of planned a lot of the thing more than I did. She asked me about like, oh, is there anything you're trying to promote? Any new stuff for like hard decor? And I was just like, well, well I actually. do have these. Yeah, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so I kind of like planned the outfit, something with like baseball, something sporty. And she planned the whole like shot list. She scouted out locations so it could be really like purposeful and quick, not I don't know where we're going to do this at or walking around. It's just um, they already went to each location beforehand. It was me, the director, and the camera person. They thought of the whole idea of like, okay, so hit the ball and then we're going to put this like blue chalk on it. So then it'll have this cool little smoke thing effect. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, is that what they taught you? I was wondering what that was. <laughs> I was like, did they just use a bath ball? Like, yeah, I didn't know. Like it was a tennis ball. It wasn't like a real thing. And then they would just kind of tell me like, okay, so in this scene, I felt really directed. In this scene, you're like waiting to be like called off of the bench. And then you're like feeling sad, but like pouty, but then like hopeful. And then I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> they were saying that I took the direction well. Um, they were like, you took direction really well. Like you should take acting classes and stuff too. And I was just like, oh, well I did. Fun fact. I was an extra on Between the Lions. I used to like Yo, for um, real? audition for commercials and stuff when I was That's little. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. I used to watch, I watched that for like a couple years and it quickly ended 
like right as I started to form memories of shows. So, but that is really, really cool. Yeah. So I did the video thing, kind of like eight hours of filming, six to eight hours. They did the editing really fast and I, the lighting was really good. Even though the shots that had to be done at nighttime, there were some shots that like weren't done at nighttime, but they made it look like it was done at nighttime. And I was like, I don't know how you did that. Um, (laughs) I just was like pleasantly surprised at how good it was. It looked like a real little like promo teaser thing. And I'd be happy to work with either one of them again. Yeah. Also feeling like, oh, yeah female person of color director and camera person and it just felt like I don't know yeah they like got me and everything so that's really cool I'm really glad that both of you were able to have that opportunity yeah yeah and like the music person we worked with too uh the Leon Top they're really cool indie band uh it's like a two-woman duo and One of their songs just got used for a Uniqlo commercial. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I was like, wow. But they were still really stoked to work with me. (laughs) It's like, you've done this, but like a little me? Right, exactly. They were still really like, wow, yeah, we got to do this thing. And, you know, they made a post about it and stuff. And I was like, yay, they like being involved with my little release here. So yeah, all of it, yeah, was looked really professional and I kind of like feel like, oh, I should do more things like that. I'm not sure when or how, but yeah, it was it was really cool and I really liked what came of it. So I'm probably going to use that like if I ever have a YouTube channel, I need a trailer or on my website or something, upload it there as like a, oh, you want to know about the brand? Here's a little video thingy. It would be really cool to get something like that with um, with models instead of it just being. But you're beautiful. We'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> on my end. Yeah, what's been going on on your end? I feel like so much stuff is taken up with work that I just don't do a whole lot right oh, now. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's like work and home. It's because of COVID's. If there was no COVIDs, I could do a lot more stuff. But, yes. you know, COVIDs. Right. But the weather is slowly starting to change, and I am super ecstatic about it. I oh, really? hate summer. It is the bane of my oh. existence. Oh, no. And being able to coordinate with more layers is so much more fun for me. And it's so freeing because it's like I can wear a sweater and leggings and skirt and leg warmers and not want to die or boil. So I'm just really happy about the weather. I have the opposite feeling. Like wearing that, I would feel like I'm still cold. (laughs) oh no oh my goodness every part of me is like ah this is so warm i love it the only thing that i still have trouble with is my fingers and my toes because i have bad circulation in there but everything else is so warm and it's wonderful and i feel so cozy i love sweater weather and watch come another couple months i'm gonna be saying i hate this weather it's too cold i'm a californian (laughs) well 
I've created like a fall and winter fun list to try and like pep myself up for the colder months. There's a lot of stuff that I can do inside or foods that I can partake in, but just kind of like to remind myself that there are good things about the changing of the season. It's not all bad. I really love Christmas, but it feels like after Christmas, there's just this dead zone of like nothing to look forward to. See, I don't get that because I celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah. So I get Hanukkah right around Christmas time. Then my birthday's in February. So it's like, bam, my birthday's right there. Now Jesse's birthday's in January. It's like, bam, birthday's right there. It's like, I'm good all year round. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, usually after Christmas, I just end up feeling like, so can winter be over now? Um, I'm done. I'm not feeling like this is a winter wonderland and there's snow magic about to happen. Now I feel like, fuck this snow. Um. (laughs) Yeah, but I honestly, I'd rather take the snow over the heat it, it mm-hmm. like for real i hate wow. the heat um this was a good move for you like moving from california yeah. to here. yeah for real <laughs> before j fashion i was fine because i didn't really care about what i wore now it's like i have so many things i want to wear but it's too fucking hot yeah. to wear them i was excited to wear my jackets finally because i was just like oh i couldn't wear them before and now i can wear the jacket because it's like cold. I can do layer upon layer yeah. upon layer and I'm good yeah. to go. Like this is so wonderful. Yeah. Coming up this weekend, I'm going to be recording a talk with our dear friend Jesse Moonhart. We were reached out to by an instructor at Columbia College, which is the college that Kamila and I both went to and Jesse. We're going to be talking about uh, fashion tribes. And so Jesse and I are going to talk about the J fashion community, talk a little bit about like how J fashion, a very brief history of J fashion and the different sub styles, and then talk about our local community and then the national community, the international community. And it's going to be probably a pretty long talk but uh, I'll see if like maybe we can release it it is being recorded and it's going to be presented to this class and Jesse and I are getting compensated for it I don't know what that means but we'll be getting something even if it's like a Starbucks card I would be happy it's like ooh, I get free coffee and I get to talk about something I love this is wonderful Also, I feel like it's good for teachers or, you know, like, oh, now the academics are acknowledging our existence. Yeah, it it definitely does help solidify us, like, in the history of alternative fashion. And now I can also put on my resume that I'm a professional speaker. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got a paid $25 Starbucks card. I'm a professional. (laughs) But so we'll see how that talk goes. I'm really excited for it. And I'm really excited to collaborate with Jesse on something. I don't think we've ever collaborated on something creative together before or like having to do with J fashion before. 
besides, like, regular, like, interviews of, like, oh, how did you get into J Fashion? What was blah, blah, blah? And Jesse's interview with us on the show. So this is, like, the first time we've done something together involving J Fashion in a long time. Like, we were producing something. I I'm really excited for it because I love, I love Jesse and I love doing things with Jesse. And I'm really excited to see the outcome of it. I, I'm hoping I can at least get the audio from it. I, I do want to be able to show it to people who are interested and like have it saved to present to more people on my career path. Definitely. I'm trying to think about too, like what que type of questions they're going to ask, like what would they want to know that would be presented to the class too. It's pretty cool. I would love to see the, the class rooms like interpretation of our little like subculture. I would love to see the feedback. I have some of the questions, but I think it is going to be a little bit more freeform. So some of the questions that will be included are going to be the basics, like why did I start to dress this way? How did you find this style? Color palettes. Ooh, this is an interesting one. Getting dressed as a ritual and does your personality change when wearing these clothes? That is certainly going to be like a deal to unpack, especially coming from like a trans perspective. Getting dressed for me is always a little wonky and a little weird. That'll be a cool perspective to give and I hope I can really open people's eyes to um, masculinity and femininity and uh, clothes having no gender. I really just want to be present as a trans mask person and be like, hello, I'm gay. <laughs> Is it going to be like a video thing? Are they going to be able to see you? So we are doing a Zoom call with the instructor. And I think maybe the instructor is like going to give it to their students to watch over as an assignment. I'm not sure if they're going to be editing it down at all. I'm not sure. In fact, I'm going to be asking that. But they will be able to like see, yeah, yeah. Cause then you'll have to be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get dressed in, that would be a cool other aspect being dressed in, you know, the fashion. Oh yeah, we're, Jesse and I are definitely getting dressed. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, um, we are going to be doing a practice run cause Jesse made a beautiful slideshow for us to read from. And we are going to be doing a little practice run of that. Uh, the talk is tomorrow. Then after we do our little practice run, we're gonna try to figure out what the fuck we're gonna wear. <laughs> so it's gonna be a fun little ordeal. I'm very excited. It's the first thing outside of the podcast that I've done involving J fashion in a long time. So I feel very like this is really filling up my cup right now. <laughs> it's awesome. We're gonna have to go over like the after details of just like, oh, how did it go? And, you know, what did you wear? And man, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Exactly. I'm very, I'm very excited for it. Now we are going to head into our interview for this month. We are going to be interviewing Angel Face, a alternative drag queen from Birmingham, Alabama. But before that, let's get into our mid-rolls. 
Hey y'all, it's Hayden. It's Kamala. We've talked a bit about how OK Podcast is a labor of love for us. Yes. Neither of us get paid to create this content and we make it because it's important and we love to do it. Yeah, doing this podcast does take a lot of time and a bit of money though. Because of that, we would like to tell you about our Patreon. If you become a monthly Patreon at any level, you'll get to contribute questions to our monthly guests. And if you donate at the $3 a month level, you'll gain access to our bonus patron content, which has special interviews with our guests. Like what it's like to be in a garusa, switching styles, and tips on modeling in Japan. There's absolutely no obligation to become a patron whatsoever, but we would greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much, and now back to the show. Woo! And welcome back. Today we're interviewing Angel Face. Angel Face is the ghost that haunts the Birmingham, Alabama drag scene. She enjoys horror movies, sad music, and abandoned buildings. She frequents alternative fashion and wears Goro and Gothic Lolita both in and out of her performances. Hello, Angel. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. I've been up for a little while, didn't get a whole lot of sleep, so we're in that prime mania state where I'm getting things done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Gotta make use of it while it's there. I know it. I know it all too well. It's such a fleeting feeling. Yeah. When I had, like, a morning job and everything, I kind of wished I had that same, like, I'm late energy when I woke up and I wasn't late because then I'm, like, getting up and then I'm, I'm focused and doing things in a timely manner. And I'm just like, if I could do this. (laughs) I find the best way to harness it is to just wake up earlier. If I wake up at seven and I take an hour, hour and a half to like get myself up and going, I have an hour and a half to two hours to like do stuff. I guess. I don't know if that would work for me. Um, Yeah, that has never worked for me. Just try to wake up earlier because then I just sit in bed longer and then I end up just being the same amount of late that I already was. (laughs) So I'm just like, yeah, that's that doesn't work for me. I just have I'm not. My body is not built for mornings (laughs) to each their own. My body is barely built. So, Angel, we always like to ask our guests the same questions just so we can get to know them before we start really getting into the meat of our interview. So, how did you first get into J Fashion? How did you discover it? What was your first experience like? So, my personal experience into J Fashion actually came from me being like a really weird elementary school kid looking at Western alternative fashion websites. And then eventually there was that crossover, probably in the mid-2000s, where Gothic Lolita became a part of the Western goth subculture as well. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, cool. And then I got into anime, and there were more Lolita characters, and they, like, called it Lolita. And I was like, what else is around here? And actually, in, like, sixth grade or so, we were uh, writing our first little essays that we'd ever written and I wrote mine about Japanese street fashion and 
that's always where I tell people, like, I've been in this community 15 years. <laughs> when technically it was like, I was just on Wikipedia for a very long time. And then I forgot about it until 2018. How did they react to your essay about alternative fashion? Oh, my God. I was so proud of it that I don't know how anyone else reacted. <laughs> but um, I was here for it. I was there for it. The teacher was like, yeah, I saw that your essay was about fashion. So I thought it was going to be boring, but it wasn't. Good job. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why do people always think fashion is boring? Like, I never understood that. Me either. Like, it's been there since day one. Right. It's just like the coolest way to express yourself and tell a story. I always think it's really interesting to see how people get into J fashion through anime because my first experience with J fashion and anime was, of course, Misa from Death Note. They called her Gothic Lolita, and she is not Gothic Lolita whatsoever. <laughs> she had that one outfit. Yeah. And now being a veteran, it's like I look back, I'm like, that's so gothic, Lolita. What was it? Like some sort of frilly... It was just like a frilly punky outfit or something. Like She had a few outfits, but they were all like mini skirts. Yeah. And You're like... all forgetting something very important. There was that very last scene of the anime Misa was in where she got into a Lolita outfit and just went like walking around the streets. And then it's like implied that she killed herself. And she doesn't show up in the anime again. And that does bring us to uh, our next question. Uh, how do you describe your current style? Because you are kind of into that dark, spooky aspect. Yeah. I don't know. Everything I do, I tag with Gura Revolution. Because I find that most of the things that I do are kind of in the general area of Gura with the way that I like to play with um, medical and horror themes. But, you know, the traditional girl, Lolita, is um, it's just a white dress with blood splatter. So by me tagging Gura Revolution on most of my coordinates, it's to say, this is what else Gura can be. Although technically everything else is like, it still counts as gothic Lolita. It's still um, old school inspired. I was contacted by the Harajuku Fashion Walk in Chile, and they actually identified my style as, they called it either Creepy Doll or Girl Lolita, which of course we knew that. And they gave me more examples of like the Creepy Doll thing. And it's happened a couple of times. It was um, a popular concept for Visual K back in like the late 90s. And I can't remember, um, it was a Visual K band called like, was it Candy Spooky Theater? And that was like their whole gig. And I could have fit in with them really well. And then GLB has a couple of things. So I guess we could just say Guru. I like it. And I, I like that you use Guru Revolution because it evokes the kawaii revolution counterpart as well that's been really making a comeback right now i just think that it's really in that that's really interesting and it's a cool crossover and i've always been a fan of various different sub styles crossing over so when you say kawaii revolution what does that mean exactly to you i think to me it 
wow, I was I wasn't expecting to get a question put back at me. I'm taken <laughs> off off guard. Now who's hosting the podcast? <laughs> I think for me personally, it is putting kawaii into all parts of the world and really being radical with kawaii and kawaii fashion. I take the political roots and the radical roots of alternative and kawaii fashion very seriously. And I think kawaii revolution is a part of that. I think it really does harken back to the political roots of alternative fashion. Definitely. I I would agree, like, just putting those two things together and not forgetting, you know, the political and activism and alternative roots of just like, not just in fashion, but also in how you live your life, trying to make the world better in ways other than like, oh, I'm like dressing this way. But it's just like, it's kind of like the clothing is a symptom of the way that we choose to live our lives. And just like, you know, caring about sustainability, caring about racial justice, caring about other parts of society and willing to go possibly the harder route to try and improve those things any way that like we can personally. Okay. I can definitely see that. I can definitely vibe with that. I think it's much more much more relevant and important than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> much more important than a, a guru revolution. Scrub Revolution is just like, I'm redefining what this can be instead of like, I'm making a change in the world. I think that's still really important. I, I know the general J fashion community has been trying to get back to their roots and trying to get back to the rules, quote unquote, of different substyles. But I think it's still very important to recognize that all of these substyles are still fluid and they can be redefined. And I think your redefinition of it is still reflective of what is going on in our current state and time of society. Because Goro now is very different than Goro than it used to be. And I think being able to show that fluidity and show that change in the visual timeline is still very important. So I think what you're doing, while it may not outwardly politically active, I think it still does show the underlying changes that are happening in the world and with your own personal life. You are giving so much depth to the things that I'm saying with my mouth, <laughs> and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Yeah, I totally like that. Not to be armchair psychologist, <laughs> but I think everything has underlying meanings. Because <laughs> I mean, like, with a lot of these styles, I think in Japan or maybe wherever they originated from, that subculture is like changing them and like bringing them into a new era. Otherwise, they just die or stay stagnant and then I guess somebody just makes up this is blah 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 style and it could really just be that other style except it's just it's different now but um sometimes people get so caught up in like the original rules like that st that's stereotypical that first look that they can't let the style grow I was just going to talk about how I've been watching the stitches on YouTube and her style guides to J fashion 
the one I watched last night was about Decora into Fairy K into Pop K, that whole timeline where you're kind of getting the sense of busyness from everything. It's just with different elements and color palettes. But I guess if you wanted to, you could probably call all of it Decora if we, it just kind of evolved and people felt the need to rename it at different parts. Yeah, I think I've seen that in um, Kauai International and them talking about timelines of different styles and, and they connected Decora and Fairy K. They made it kind of like Decora ended and then Fairy K arised. I feel like they kind of go hand in hand like they're like sisters or something. <laughs> I don't know. So how did you first get into drag from there? Did J Fashion lead you into the drag scene somehow? You know, I wish it did for the sake of this interview, <laughs> but <laughs> no. So goth was always like the first thing, the one and only for me. And when I was 11 is when I started experimenting with makeup and I just had like this wet and wild eyeshadow palette black that I would put on my lower eyelid. And I was like, this is revolutionary. James Charles who? <laughs> so that started when I was 11 and my interest in makeup and alternative fashion just kept kind of growing until high school. I was 16 and I had just broken up with a boy or maybe he broke up with me. It's been a while and I felt bad. And normally the way that I help myself feel better would be to do makeup, turn out a look, post some pictures for the children. <laughs> and, um, you know, the normal stuff just wasn't cutting it. So I put on my very first drag face and that kind of fulfilled. And since then, I've just kind of kept doing it. Um, I think at that time, RuPaul's Drag Race season seven was out. So they were talking very heavily about branding and your image. And they were doing a lot of vintage inspirations during that season. And that kind of influenced me a lot and how I started, why I started. What did that first look look like? Um, I can't totally remember, but I still have the pictures. Yeah, I can't even remember what I was doing yesterday. Oh, it's a mood. <laughs> I don't even know how old I am anymore. Six years ago, maybe. But um, the very first one, it was so soft. It was basically just an overdrawn eyelid and an overdrawn lip and probably a harsher contour. And I thought that was it. I thought I'd done it. I thought I'd <laughs> just pulled something completely new out of my ass and shown everyone. Revolutionary. Yeah, I thought I was changing the game over and over again. So you brought up RuPaul's Drag Race. And for most people, that is the go-to when it comes to drag. It is what is familiar. It is uh, what is presented in media primarily. Uh, but what you do specifically is alternative drag. For those who don't know, how would you describe alternative drag as opposed to the drag that most people are used to seeing? Alternative drag is just drag performance and drag performers with either a darker or more conceptual aesthetic. There's usually more of a focus on concept rather than like pleasing an audience usually working with what you would call alternative music and alternative fashion. 
I think most of the people listening to this podcast will be able to recognize the difference between like alternative fashion and regular fashion. It's very similar. With the darker themes and concepts, did gothic fashion fall into the same groove super easily? Or was it a little more of a rocky start trying to figure out how to combine those two. <laughs> I did not even start off wearing goth and drag. I was very influenced by Trixie Mattel at the time. So it was a lot of pink and 60s influenced. Regrettably at the time, I was really into Melanie Martinez. So a lot of that was happening. And I think that kind of made it easier to transition into some other styles later on. Goth probably entered into my drag career and aesthetics probably a year in. I got really tired of trying to please other people and I had gone back to things that I liked myself. And I was like, okay, we're, we're going to stop with all of the people pleasing. I want to put tears of blood on my face and perform this song about cocaine. So I did. And yeah, that was probably three years ago. Yeah, that's interesting how like even in the alternative scene like drag and things like that, there's still a pressure to please whatever subgroup that you're in, you know, even though it's not what the mainstream people are doing. So you're not trying to impress society, but the smaller group that you're in, you're still feeling pressure to be like everybody who's on like RuPaul's Drag Race are the most popular drag personalities. People try so hard to be palatable that it's easy to like forget why you started something in the first place. And I've seen a lot of people in drag and actually in an alternative fashion too that have like dropped it because of that. It wasn't fun for them anymore. Just from what I've seen of you in the few months that I've been following you on Instagram and on Facebook, I cannot imagine you in anything but grays, blacks, and whites. And just hearing you in pink is is a little jarring for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that. Pink is my favorite color. <laughs> and like, it's... It's not in like a, you can't wear pink kind of thing. It's just like, I am not used to that. That is not something I expected. No, pink is still my favorite color. And I still have a lot of pink in my wardrobe. Just not in my Lolita wardrobe. Most of my, my pink looks are better for performing. And since I haven't been able to perform since March, I haven't been wearing them. Yeah, I totally see like the creepy doll aspect. Because, like, some of your expressions are very, like, hmm, but also, like, I will kill you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> How did you first get the idea to incorporate J fashion into your drag? Like, why did you take it in a gothic horror route as opposed to any other direction? Like, maybe you could have taken it, like, a spacey direction or a 50s direction, or was it just to appeal to, like, I guess, what your original, like, interests were with goth? I'm gonna have to backtrack a little with this one. So, when I first thought about incorporating J fashion into my drag, it was, like, the general kawaii you see on everyone who's just kind of starting out wearing it 
And then I was really into Fairy K and not like prime Decorah, but like my little interpretation of Decorah because I couldn't find the clothing. You can see a couple of those things back in my older Instagram account stuff. I was doing the the poor man's Fairy K. <laughs> and then I really loved OTT Suite. And I started looking at the pieces that went into an OTT Suite cord, like specifically angelic pretty prints. And I was like, wow, this is not appealing for me. I'm very picky with like the iconography that goes onto me or into my life. For example, Daydream Carnival. I don't like horses. Horses are not my animal. The print in a coordinate is really cool, but I'm not going to pay money <laughs> to put this on my body if I don't approve of everything that's on it. But what I have always liked is crosses, dolls, medical themes, and although those exist in Sweet and I do own them, it was just easier to find in Gothic and I ended up liking the details that are in Gothic Lolita more and the simplicity of old school Lolita and solids and just the silhouettes are much more appealing to me now in Gothic. So originally I did want to do Sweet Lolita. That was a goal for a while and then just looking at it it was like eh no let's just let's just follow our hearts and not follow the pretty pictures on Tumblr. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good takeaway. Because I feel like sometimes people feel pressure to just replicate the looks that seem the most popular instead of like following their hearts. And then that can make it so that you end up souring on wearing alternative fashion or being a part of the community in the future. You're not being self-aware about what you're wearing because as you're you're going through it, you may like like how you did find something that like, oh, you know what? I don't really like the iconography um, on a lot of these sweet Lolita dresses. Um, you know what I actually like is like crosses or something. And and you listened to that instead of forcing yourself into like another box or something. Um, within alternative fashion, you decided to just like, you know, I'm going to like follow that. And I almost want to like use that as an example for like, I've been trying to like craft this like mixing styles for beginners panel. It's kind of a hard thing to like put into words, but I really want to express that thought of like being more self-aware and following what you like, not just a formula of just like, well, you know, you got to have this thing, that thing, and this thing. Being more of a robot about mixing the styles, it's like a chance to just follow your heart without having the confines of like, oh, I have to be this style. How has J Fashion continued to influence your drag performances? We touched briefly on how fashion is always changing and is in a constant state of flux. Does that flux ever contribute to a flux in your performances? Do you ever see a print or a dress and then get hit with inspiration? How has J Fashion influenced your creative processes? Well, when I first got into Fairy K is when I rediscovered Hatsune Miku and started performing yes. her. Yes. 
a, a way a way back. Happy birthday, Miku-chan. Is it her birthday? It was recently, I think. So many people are having birthdays right now. <laughs> and entities. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know if you can call her a person. She's a person now. <laughs> she's um she's transcended the the definition of yeah. personhood. She's a spiritual being. I was already doing very somber numbers, and then you get like Eastamori nameless poem, and it makes it twenty times better. So when I do get dresses that fit like a certain theme, I tend to perform that theme more often so I can wear the dress more often. Since a lot of Gothic Lolita is inspired by morning wear, I've noticed that I've performed more numbers about ghosts, the afterlife, loss. And then I've also done cute little J-pop numbers as like a Gothic Lolita Maha Shoujo. Oh, actually, the dress that I'm about to wear later for a photo shoot inspired me to do this one number that ended up being really cool. Uh, Take the Pill by Emily Autumn. It's the Violet Fane Asylum dress. So medical, I get to um, pretend to be unhinged for a little moment, throw Tic Tacs at the audience like they're pills. My drag influences my J fashion choices and vice versa. Would you consider... Drag an excuse to wear J fashion, or do you consider J fashion an excuse to do drag? Which one of those would you lean on the side of? If I'm of? not in drag, really, then I'm in a uniform because I'm working, or like in a dress code. So I think they're one and the same. I don't get to do J fashion without drag for the most part, although that's changed kind of recently, as I've been able to wear Lolita to work a couple of occasions, which is very exciting. Drag is an excuse to wear J fashion if I had to choose between the two of them. We always need more excuses to wear J fashion. Yes. <laughs> my my excuse recently has been I, I'm baking, so I want to look cute while I'm baking, so uh I can be cute mm -hmm. while I bake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just from that I can tell you wear sweet. I I definitely <laughs> well I'm looking at my closet. Right now, my closet's split down the middle, and the right half of my closet is all fairy K, and the left half of my closet's all goth. So I am nowhere in the middle. I go back and forth constantly. Understandable. I, I would probably, if I was at the crossroads where you were, and it was just like, I like crosses and stuff. But, you know, it's not in any of these sweet dresses. I would have just felt like, they need to make a sweet dress with the crosses, and <laughs> the ghosties and you know and i'm just like i just want to pastelify everything so it's just like oh i want to be a pirate but i need to be a pastel pirate oh i want to wear military lolita but i want it to be pastel and i just was thinking last night oh yeah steampunk but i don't want to wear brown i want to wear pink <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just like trying to pastelify every single alternative fashion style that I can, like some sort of possession. There actually are a lot of um, sweet dresses with cross prints. I think AP is known for like shoving them on everything. I'm popping them in the chat right now. <laughs> There's like Heavenly Cross, Milky Cross. Oh, wow. You included okay, Sugar Cross. I love Sugar Cross. Yeah. And I also like red. I'm just like, yeah, I gotta get more into reds. I have like one red dress. Oh, I love red right now. 
when you look at the the gothic lolita fill out chart things you put in your instagram story it's always either like are you a blue gothic lolita or a red one and i'm a red one (laughs) i wish there was more lime green gothic lolita i want the slime green wow that could be really interesting add it to the list yeah a green and black or i want Gothic Lolita with frogs. I want the frogs. Gothic frog. That would probably be the name of it. Gothic frog. (laughs) There's not enough frogs. There's not enough rats. Oh, yeah, no rats at all. Are there any mouses? Are there even mouses? There have been some mice, maybe not like mice specific prints, but there there have been some hidden around. Where's my like grungy, awful gutter rat Lolita? I want this. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm right here. You need to draw what that would look like. I'll come up with it. I'll Go on to Spoonflower. I will make the fabric. So you mentioned that before you got into a more gothic guru style of doing your drag performances, um, Trixie Mattel was one of your earlier influences. Are there any drag personalities now that inspire you that help either keep you going or help get the creative juices flowing? Who are those other personalities that help you progress your your performances i feel like now is the appropriate time to shove in that i do not support rupaul in any faucet of his life yeah i understand that he's a pretty controversial (laughs) person um in the drag community i know like a lot of people are like you either love him or hate him basically if you love him you're open your eyes (laughs) Like, to the audience, open your eyes. He literally supports fracking, like... He, like, actively profits off of fracking. Yeah, he's just a hot mess. So, because of that, and seeing how um, contestants on the show have to basically, like, give their life and their morals to him for a couple of years, I no longer hold any of them in high esteem. I don't like to idolize or put people on a pedestal anymore either because every time you turn around, it's like, oh, they are a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. The people that I still like and admire, the most well-known drag personality would probably be Juno Birch, who makes uh, YouTube videos. She's based in the UK. Her thing is like 60s alien housewife. I love it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's like she crash-landed on earth in the 60s and is in disguise but she does a poor job of it which is (laughs) the kind of character that Trixie Mattel used to play kind of with like the Barbie type thing that was really cool and interesting she doesn't do that anymore and she doesn't apologize for racism but um and then a lot of my friends I just tend to gravitate toward people that like make the happy siren go off in my brain because that's how friendship works. The two that I thought about, um, Bambi Bulgag and Heavenly Powers in Denver, Colorado, both of them have just continually been pushing looks the entire time I've known them and supported me and been good friends. And I love them, would kill for them. And then my own little drag house, The Shed of Shame, which is me and my sisters, Milky Juicy and Saliva Godiva. We consistently help push each other and support each other. 
make spaces for each other when we don't really have spaces. That's really cool that your friends inspire you. I know when we interviewed Raina, um, I think about distance and friendship, like keeping distant friends close to you. And she talked about being inspired by her friends a lot and like what direction she wants to take her style and stuff like that. So I feel like that's something that could be highlighted more rather than like whoever has the most followers or something like that. Follower count means that you're more likely to give up your creativity in favor of pleasing the masses. And that's shown over and over again, especially in the drag community. Right. It's a lot of pressure. And the way that you make money as like someone who's an influencer, it just makes it difficult not to do that because it's all about like, oh, okay, I need to have all these affiliate links and sell these things. You have to become an advertiser basically to make a living, which is a sucky sort of way to have to do it. Social media is a brain poison. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, social media is a brain poison. Um, follow us on Instagram at ok.podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to do better at that, I promise. What is your advice for those who are starting to dip their toes into drag and want to incorporate J fashion into it. Cause maybe people were like, oh, I'm kind of into like drag makeup and things like that, but oh, that doesn't seem to really fit in with my J fashion interest as well. I think you could offer some advice about like opening their minds. Especially because I know primarily within the Lolita community, it's like a pretty overarching rule that drag doesn't work with lolita um and i hate that yeah oh it's awful and i don't like it yeah i don't like that either it's primarily comes from like the uh lolita's elegant and feminine and drag is not elegant and it makes a mockery of femininity and it's like no that's not what it's about so i want to destroy that preconception so please help us destroy it all right a lot was just asked of me (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) Um, it's all right let's see let's start with um people who want to incorporate j fashion into their drag or vice versa i think it's important to know which elements that you're needing help with Because, like, if you post in a Lilia group asking for general concrete and you've got drag makeup on, they're going to shut that down. So it's kind of like learning to be like, okay, here's my coordinate. Can you help critique the coordinate? Do not mention my makeup. Or Mm -hmm. to, like, talk to your drag friends and be like, hey, how is my makeup? Do not talk about my poofy dress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know why, but the way you said talk to your drag friends got me thinking about Talk to your doctor if you experience right. symptoms. <laughs> a dractor. A dractor. A dractor. <laughs> if your makeup is completely plain and without contour. <laughs> Let's see. Figuring out what elements need to be asked for help in what situation. Figuring out how how you want your style to like fit in. Like, do you want to wear a Lolita for photo shoots? Do you want to perform in Gyaru? Do you want to stand outside of a building and sell bath bombs in Uchuke? <laughs> I think that's pretty important as well because I don't always perform in Lolita. I try to a lot. 
but Lolita is more often seen in like my photo shoots where I don't have to perform or when I'm just taking pictures or creating looks for myself. I think it's also really, really important when you're asking for Lolita advice and how drag works with it, not just Lolita, but J Fashion in general, find people that are queer because then you don't have to, most of the time, you don't have to walk through the whole drag is not a mockery of femininity. It's not a sexual thing. I don't want to get fucked like this, yada, yada, with like a cishet, which could be the case. It could not be, but it's just safer, I feel. And then queer people are usually more like accepting of the fusions, not to be like straight hate or anything, but it's just something I've noticed myself. I've also noticed this, this might actually sound like hate, sorry. The gothic and old school Lolita communities are usually a lot more accepting of like drag and even me not in drag. So like being an AMAP person, having like a beard and body hair in Lolita, they don't really care. But then I've been, uh, I've had classic and sweet Lolitas, um, have problems with it but I've also had classic and sweet Lolita's like live or not care or whatever just uh, a numbers thing I guess maybe sometimes with the older Lolita's they kind of see the rise and fall of different trends and styles and the morphing and things like that and whereas the newer crowd is probably a lot more like stringent of just like oh but we have to be like the picture that was in the Lolita bible and you know because you're newer to it and so you feel like you only have one picture, whereas maybe someone who's older in the scene kind of like, oh, I, I can see the big picture of this a lot easier. And I also feel that drag and gothic alternative fashion and subculture go hand in hand. If you look at trad goth pictures, a lot of makeup from trad goths is like, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's just drag makeup. Duh. It, it really does mold together a lot easier as opposed to the makeup that's expected in sweet and classic Lolita. I feel like it could be. I just, every time I've seen a drag queen incorporate sweet Lolita or start trying out with sweet Lolita in one of the Lolita groups, they get like shot down. And then it's like, it's not encouraging more people to try more outfits, to keep going with it and keep developing it. Kind of just makes you feel like, oh, I just shouldn't try this at all. I guess I'll just not do it. That's, yeah, opened my eyes to something that I haven't seen before. Cause I felt like, I feel like there's a lot of Lolitas that are into drag culture, like and have, and have um, people that they follow and everything. So I'm just like, oh, that that's really surprised me. And that's something that I, I want to talk about too. I, I definitely want to add that in too any talking about mixing alternative styles and just like, but wait, you could mix in cosplay. You could mix in drag. <laughs> Cause I think, yeah, well, that's wait, something that there's didn't, more. There's more. <laughs> so I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's really good. This, this interview really got my gears turning. Well, I'm available for questions at all times. Thank you. <laughs> and Angel, where can our followers find you specifically, even your drag sisters, your drag house? Um, if they want to find out more about you, follow you, where should our listeners go to uh, find you? 
I have a business page and a personal Facebook page just under my name, Angel Face, F-A-Z-C-E. I also have Instagram and, well, TikTok's about to get banned here anyway. I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) If this was a different podcast. At Angel Face, one word on Instagram. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And if our listeners are interested in hearing a little bit more from Angel, we are going to be talking about the unused J fashion styles in their drag and maybe brainstorm a little bit about how they can start using those styles in their drag. So head on over to our Patreon, become a $3 a month patron. You'll be able to listen to that content. Until next time, this has been OK Podcast. My name is Hayden. My name's Kamila. And my name's Angel. We will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>